to see all of you tonight. It's gotten really, really cold, especially on this campus. I hope all of you are staying warm, especially my Malaysian brothers and sisters. I know that the climate here is very different, but it's only going to get colder, so please wear bundles. In Korea, we have something called nebok. Get some. Wear it under your clothes, okay? Um, okay, so um, if you're new tonight, my name is Rona, and I'm... Sounds really weird. Is this, is the mic okay? It sounds okay to you guys? Okay. Uh, my name is Rona, and I'm the campus director here at Emmaus. And we actually have a special visitor tonight. Her name is Pastor Erin. And um, she's sitting right here. You can wave for us, Pastor Erin. <laughs> uh, so as you know, Emmaus is at Yonsei Iwa. Korea University and SNU, and there's a campus director over each campus, and Pastor Aaron is overseeing all of, uh, all of the campuses and all of the, um, the ministry that God's doing here, and so it's awesome to have her here tonight. Um, <clears throat> and as I was kind of praying about what to share tonight, um, you know, it's been like so awesome to see God moving every week. Um, we had the Emmaus retreat. Some of you guys went to that. Uh, some of you experienced a lot of really cool stuff at that Emmaus retreat. Some shaking, some falling, some Holy Spirit signs and wonders. And you were filled with the fire of God. Um, some of you guys got um, breakthroughs at different large groups. Different strongholds in your life has been, have been broken. Um, some of you went to New Philly's leadership retreat. It's like a back-to-back weekend of retreats and just power being released. And you were blessed and built up there as well. And as I was asking God, um, what, what now, God? What do you have for students at SNU now as we've been walking together this semester? Um, what, what should we cling to? What part of your word should, do you want to highlight tonight? And I really felt like God's heart was, was that he can set a foundation in our hearts of what is true. That he could set a foundation in our hearts of what is true and what is false. right? And I know that that sounds really, really simple. But if we actually look deeper in it, I feel like tonight God is going to begin to expose what we've been deciding is true and what we've been clinging to as false. And some of the things that we thought were true are not so true. And some of the things that we thought were false are not really false. And God, I believe, is going to expose, according to his word, what is true. Um, and so it's going to be a little bit of a packed message. And so I hope you all are excited and ready and alert um, if, you, if you guys are excited, I want you guys to, um, 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 uh, I want, actually, I want everybody to stand up and, like, and, um, jump up and down one time. I feel like it's, it's really warm in here, so everyone's getting really sleepy, so let's just all wake up, do some stretches, stretch a little bit, get the, the blood circulating to your brain. All right, this, this message will require your brain and your heart to be engaged, so do what you got to do. All right, you guys, you guys can sit down. Good stretching, good stretching, everyone. All right. Um, you know, it's not, um, it's not our heart, and, and it's none of our desire to have what, you know, a lot of us call retreat high. Like, we have this awesome experience at a retreat, and then we make... Um, all these commitments to God, and then as soon as we go back into our normal life, everything returns back to normal. We slip into the old lifestyle patterns, and that's just like some fond memory we had of a powerful experience with God. But one way that we cultivate and continue to 
not only sustain that fire that God's giving us, but also cause it to increase where we go from glory to glory, is we have to keep it fueled by the word of God. We have to let keep it fueled by the word of God to continue to hunger after the things of the kingdom. And I believe that, um, you know, true life transformation, it has to come whenever we allow God, when we submit our minds continually to the truth of God, continually to the truth of God. And so I want all of us to open up to um, Luke chapter 6. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 46. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 46. All right, I'm going to read out loud from the NIV, and I want you to follow along with me from whatever version you have. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So tonight, my message is going to be focusing on setting a foundation. Setting a foundation of faith on that rock. We sometimes try to keep building higher and higher and higher, these, these really big towers in the sky, and we, we want to like build these high things for God. But if our foundation is not secure on what is true, and if there's confusion or mixture in our minds about what is true and what is not true, no matter how tall our tower may be, the moment a storm hits, it's just going to be washed away, right? And so tonight, I believe God wants us to go higher, wants us to go higher, wants us to build high towers, but I believe that the first step is he wants to strengthen our foundation, wants to strengthen our foundation. And so um, sometimes we are unaware that while the Holy Spirit is leading us into truth and faith and building up our faith, building up our spirit man, the enemy is continually trying to tear it down. Okay, so this this metaphor, this analogy is saying, um, if you hear the word and you put it into practice, it's like a man who dug deep and set a foundation on a rock. And then he built his house. When a storm came, nothing happened to the house. It wasn't shaken. But if you hear and you do not do what you hear of my word, then it's like setting your foundation. It's like building a house with no foundation. The moment a storm hits, your faith is toppled over, right? And so the enemy, if God's, if God's Holy Spirit is trying to build up more faith in us, build us up in the spirit, um, cause our spirit man to be strengthened inside of us, then the enemy, he also has a role to play in this construction, right? His job, what he wants to do, his aim, his target, is to tear down. If the Holy Spirit's building up our foundation, building up brick by brick this, this house of faith in us, then the enemy, he's trying to tear it down. Board by board, he's going to cause, he wants our house to crumble, right? And the, the biggest target of the enemy will to attack our foundation. He knows that the foundation is not secure, the whole house will crumble. 
Tonight, I want to talk about and expose some of the ways that the enemy might be trying to do that. What are some of the ways that the enemy is attacking our foundation, the foundation of our faith, in ways that maybe we weren't aware of, in ways that we thought, oh, this is nothing, right? And I want to expose it because I feel like when we see what he's attacking, we're going to be able to guard it. We're going to be able to know, no, 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 no. I'm setting up guard posts here, and the enemy cannot confuse me. The enemy cannot cause these doubts and these deceptions to take root in my heart. I'm putting an end to it, right? And so we're just going to do a little exposing tonight um, and allow the Holy Spirit to do a a powerful building work in our hearts. Um, So I want to start off with um, just giving you a little background about what it was like for me after I went back to America after my Emmaus semester. So many of you know my testimony. I was an Emmaus student, uh, 2008, and I met Susie, actually, during my semester here. She was studying language here, and I was studying at Yonsei, and she came to Yonsei Large Group, and we were both very different back then. (laughs) Actually, Susie had a very pivotal part of my faith, because, I mean... At the retreat that I got filled with the Holy Spirit. So many of you um, experienced tongues recently. You got the gift of tongues. Some of you guys were slain in the Spirit for the first time. Some of you guys shook under the power of the Spirit for the first time. Um, at my Emmaus retreat, I had a similar experience. But at that same retreat, Susie was like in the back, very, very uh, disgruntled and like, like going through her Bible, like really not having it. Okay, so no matter where you are, in terms of your comfort level with the Holy Spirit, you know, God loves you, and you are welcome, and you are safe. Bring your questions, you know. But anyway, she, like, was changing, and I was changing, and then at one point, she was, like, telling me, I think you suggested a C.S. Lewis book to me, Surprised by Joy. Um, Yeah, and then it was in that really cramped apartment, and then you're like, because I'm a big thinker, and I was having all these experiences spiritually, all these emotional experiences, and I didn't know how to make sense of it in my mind, and so I started reading that book, and it was, it was really awesome. Susie was awesome. She's, she's great. Thank you for coming tonight. Yeah, it was, it was great. So I went back. I went, that's not the point of the story. <laughs> I'm just happy you're here. So the, the point of my story is I went back to my university in Missouri State, and I was a global studies major, and I came home, and I was like, Oh, oh my goodness, like, I'm going to graduate in three years, and I love school. I'm not going to leave early, so I decided to declare a double major. And also I declared a double major because when I got um, hit with the fire, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I felt like I wanted to be a missionary. And I was thinking, man, if I want to be a missionary, I'm probably going to go to seminary after graduate or after undergrad, so I'll major in religious studies. And I go, it's a secular institution, okay? Public university. So the, like, the way that the school is set up is we cannot have a preference for any religion. We cannot teach um, subjectively. We cannot teach... The professors can't impose their beliefs on any of their students, no matter what their beliefs are, right? So it's supposed to be completely objective, unbiased education. And so I was taking religious studies, which is the study of religion, theory, right, of religion. And so I was taking classes like Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity from a secular institution. So none of my professors are supposed to be imposing any kind of bias or belief on me, but they're supposed to be teaching it objectively, okay? So I declared this major in religious studies, and uh, soon what I began to find was there was um, a whole system of beliefs 
behind academic institutions, okay? A whole system of beliefs. And the way that we would define religion in religious studies is religion is a system of beliefs, okay, that people adhere to. Religion is a system of beliefs that people adhere to. And what I began to find as I majored in religious studies from a school that said they're not going to teach me any religion or impose their religious beliefs on me was that a system of beliefs was being imposed on me, okay? I would go into a class, but every method they taught me to study, every method they taught me to read and, and critically think was from a filter, from a worldview that they had given to me, right? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, guys. And um, some of you are more familiar than others, but in this world, we only see naturally, right? So I see like a chair, um, like the ceiling, whatever. But there's a spiritual reality that's, that's truer and realer than what we can see, right? What is unseen, all this is going to pass away. And what, what is seen, all this is going to pass away. But what is unseen, right? The things of heaven, the spiritual realm, that is realer, okay? And those things are eternal. And so the reason why this whole faith thing is important and the reason why encountering Jesus is important is because this is only going to last at the most 80, 90 years, right? All of it's going to pass away. And all we're left with is that relationship, is that other reality and how we've been connecting. And so... Behind every, every nation, every like, government, every culture, there are also spirits, right? And either, either it's the spirit of God in that place, or if there's, an other, if there's other spirit, and it's not the spirit of God, it's from the enemy, Satan, right? Either God has authority over that place, and he is the, the one exalted, welcomed in that place, Right? When we were worshiping, we said, Jesus, we welcome you. We enthrone you in our praises. We exalt you. That means everything else that is exalted and high above this place is cast down, and Jesus is exalted higher, right? But it's not like that everywhere. So if you think about other religions, cultures that are hostile to the gospel, okay, and, and institutions like academia, okay, there are strongholds. There are demonic principalities. There are spiritual strongholds that are over those areas. Okay? So when you're going to a class and the professors say, we are all um, unbiased and we will not impose our religious beliefs on you, but here's what you need to learn and do. Okay? You have to question everything. You have to question everything. And the funny thing is, guys, that's exactly the vocabulary they're saying to you too. You must question everything. There is no absolute truth. You have to critically think, right? So I remember I took religious studies, and they're all teaching me all this postmodernism, deconstructionism, all this stuff. And, and I began to get exposed to guys like Nietzsche, Jacques Derrida, Foucault, okay? And they're all about um, postmodernism. And I remember my professors would be like, okay, there is no absolute truth, and the way that we have to approach the subject matter is from that, that area, right? And so you have to critically think and critically question everything. You can't take everything at face value, right? So I started writing, critically think. Don't take anything at face value, you know? And I realized, oh my gosh, like they're telling me how to do something, but like I have to adhere to what they're telling me. Do you know what I mean? Like critically think, don't take anything at face value, but listen to everything I'm telling you about this. 
okay? Question everything except for postmodernism. Question everything except for liberal, like, um, liberal humanistic intellectualism. Question everything except for what I'm telling you, right? And I was like, this is very strange, okay? And so I, I started to study these guys. I started to get trained up in my mind by postmodernist views and um, something called deconstru- deconstructionism, okay? And I want you guys to all say deconstructionism because we're going to talk about that later. Um, and tonight I feel like it's important to talk a little bit more in detail about these things because I believe this is such a sneaky strategy of the enemy in academic institutions. Bless you, Bora. And so... Um, especially, guys, in prestigious schools, in number one schools, in very, very um, academic schools that value intellectualism, value um, academics. This is so important, okay? And so you Emmaus SNU students, especially, I want you to get this in your mind and not allow the enemy to just cause certain areas to become gray and fuzzy in your mind, okay? All right, so what I'm, I'm not saying that, um, that being intelligent is bad or that critically thinking is bad or that you shouldn't do well in school, okay? You, I'm not saying that at all, okay? You have to look at me. If you know me at all, you know that's not true. Being intelligent is awesome. Reading, critically thinking, it's good, okay? But it's all about who we are giving our, our, the authority of our minds to, okay? The authority of our minds. Who are we handing it over to? And so... Since we belong to Jesus, he has authority over our minds. He has the final say about what is true and what is false. Not a professor, not our parents, not a textbook, not a, not a scholar, okay? It's Jesus and what he has told us. And so, um, yeah, we can keep that straight. Intelligence is not bad, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't want anyone walking out here like, Rona told me not to study anymore and... Not to go to my classes. Okay. Um, so the way that schools are training students to think about everything, the way that um, schools are training students to view the world and view the supernatural, it's riddled with uh, a lot of deception. Okay? It's riddled with a lot of deception. So as I went back to my home university, um, I was exposed to a lot of this type of thinking. And so I'm going to explain it to you guys very plainly, um, some of the, the basic tenets of these, these belief systems, okay? From non-religious institutions, the belief systems imposed on students, okay? And I want you to actually, as I'm speaking and sharing, I want you to kind of think, hey, are there any classes? Are there any professors? Are any textbooks or people that I've read that have told me to think like this? Or am I already thinking like this without even knowing it? Have I just started to accept this blindly without even knowing that it's a belief system, without even knowing that um, this is deception, okay? So just allow, um, as I'm reading some of these things out, I want you to think about that. The basic tenets of postmodernism, there's eight, okay? Eight basic tenets of postmodernism. So, you know, we believe in Christianity. The Bible is true. Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Father make up the Trinity. There are basic tenets of the Christian faith. There are basic tenets of postmodernism, okay? And here they are. First, number one, is social constructivism. Everyone say social constructivism. This means that meaning, okay, meaning, morality and truth does not exist objectively. They are constructed 
by society. Okay? Meaning, value and truth are created by a society. Okay? Tenet number one. Everything, everything with meaning, value, all truth is constructed by society. Society is made up of people. Okay? People. Therefore, a group of people create meaning, morality, and truth. Okay? So we go into postmodernist views already believing that it's not a higher power who set things in order, but it's man first. Man is the main actor here, and we have created all meaning, all truth. Okay? Number two, cultural determinism. Everyone say cultural determinism. You guys did not know you were walking into a large group and getting this tonight, huh? Okay. Individuals are shaped by cultural forces, okay? Language, in particular, determines what we can think, trapping us in a prison house of language, okay? I'll explain that. Cultural determinism basically says every culture that you're placed in, the cultures of the world, okay? They all have one, a language, right? And language is like a prison house. Because in Korean, you can express some things, in the language, but in English, you can't express the same things. And in Malaysian, you can't express certain things. So the way that you um, see things is differently because you're in the, the prison of your own language and culture, okay? So your culture and language, they shape and they mold you, and um, there is no kind of tying, unifying meaning or purpose. It's based on your culture or language, okay? So number one, social constructivism, every truth, morality, meaning shaped by the society you're in. Number two, cultural determinism, it's all shaped by the cultural forces that you're born into. Number three, rejection of individual identity. Okay? People exist primarily as members of groups. Identity is primarily objective. Okay? You are the, the product of the society you were born into, the culture you were born into, the family that you were born into. Everything about you is not something unique or special because you've been just shaped by the place you've been born, okay? If, if Odd was born in Korea, okay, instead of Malaysia, she, to Korean parents, you know, to a Korean brother and sister, put in the Korean educational system, she would just look like any other Korean. There's nothing significant or, or special or unique just about Audrey. It's all based on the society and culture you've been placed in, right? That's not true, Audrey, but that's an example, Okay. Okay, number four is the denial of the transcendent. Okay? The denial of the transcendent. This basically states that there are no absolutes. Even if there were, we would have no access to them since we are bound to our culture and imprisoned in our language. Okay? There are no absolutes. Everything is subjective. Everything is based on the society or culture you've been living in. There are no absolutes. And even if there were... We are so far away from ever touching that because we are so imprisoned by the culture, society, and language that we live in, okay? So if there were absolute truth, we would not be able to access it. If there were an absolute God out there, we would not be able to access him either, okay? Denial of the transcendent. Number six, power reductionism. Everyone say power reductionism. Yes, okay? All institutions, human relationships, Moral values and human creations are expressions and masks of the primal will to power. Okay? You can reduce everything, everything to a power struggle. 
everything in this world, every institution, every relationship, everything, you can reduce to someone wanting power over someone else. Okay? Number seven, the rejection of reason. Okay, that sounds a little interesting, right? The rejection of reason. Reason and the impulse to objectify truth are illusory masks for cultural power. Even philosophers, even those who say reason is, is the best, it's all because they want power, okay? It's because they want power over other people, okay? Reason, is what, as well, is rejected. Number eight, revolutionary critique of the existing order. Revolutionary critique of the existing order. Basically, the way things are, the existing order. Modern society, with its rationalism, order, and unitary view of truth, needs to be replaced by a new world order. The old order must be put away to be replaced by a new, as yet unclearly defined, mode of communal existence. Okay? The old things must pass away, and a new world order must be established that is, uh, that is yet unclearly defined. Okay? Basically, it's saying the things of the old are, have to be gone. Okay? Now, this is, this is what my professors were teaching me. And how I was, they were teaching me that not only do I need to agree with this, this needs to be my starting point for every academic endeavor, okay? The way I approach a text, the way I approach a culture, the way I approach everything, must, I must start here, okay? And this is from a non-religious, secular public institution, okay? And these eight basic tenets, that's pretty intense, right? That's a system of beliefs that says there is no higher power, there is no absolute truth, there is no, um, you know, anything other than power struggles, right? And at the same time, there's, there's this belief that all the old things are going to pass away and a new communal existence that is clearly undefined will be established. That is like a hope for a new future, right? This is a religious system. This is a system of beliefs, right? Basically, postmodernism says there is no absolute truth, and even if there was, we could not know it. What we know as real is merely what has been constructed or built together by society, our culture, and our personal experiences. If you look at any movement or religion, at the root, it's just a desire for one person or a group of people to have power over another. Everything is a power struggle. Everything we know is, const is a construction. It's been built, okay? We make our own realities or people in power construct it for us, and we just are subject, subjects to it, okay? So we build our existence. We build what is real. We build what um, meaning and value the universe has, or a culture or group of people have built it for us because they want to have power over us, and we're subjected to that oppression, okay? And we don't even know. And so that is um, postmodernism in a nutshell, um, a big, big part of postmodernism post is also the rejection of the meta-narrative. Everyone say meta-narrative. Okay, a meta-narrative. If you look at the word, it's, it's two words, meta and narrative, right? And narrative means story, okay? Meta means big, expansive. The, a rejection of a big, expansive story. That's what a meta-narrative is. So another part of postmodernist view is a complete rejection of what scholars have called the meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is a grand narrative or story that is common to all people at all times. It is a comprehensive, universal explanation of history, meaning, experience, or knowledge. Postmodernism must reject one big meta-narrative since every person in every society and every culture's construction of reality is different. Okay? 
So there is no one big story that is true for all people. Postmodernism rejects the meta-narrative and replaces it with small local narratives that are true for a specific group of people. Okay? There is no unifying story. There are just a bunch of smaller stories. And those stories are true for them, okay? but not for anyone else. What, what postmodernist views and, and what this kind of atmosphere does is it also trains you to think in a certain way. Okay? And the way that um, you are trained to think in academia, is, is, especially if you go higher up, is they train your mind to deconstruct. Okay? And this is where deconstructionism comes in. So um, a big aspect of postmodernism is deconstructionism. And first, I'm going to read you a very like wordy definition. Then I'm going to explain it. Okay? So... Be alert, be alert, take deep breaths, okay? And then get oxygen to your minds. I know this is kind of um, heavy, but it's important. Deconstructionism seeks to deconstruct the ideological biases like gender, racial, economic, political, and cultural, and traditional assumptions that infect all histories, as well as philosophical and religious truths. Deconstructionism is based on the premise that much of human history in trying to understand and then define reality has led to various forms of domination of nature or people of color, of the poor, of homosexuals, etc. Like postmodernism, deconstructionism finds concrete experience more valid than abstract ideas and therefore refutes any attempts to produce a history or a truth. In other words, the multiplicities and contingencies of human experience necessarily bring knowledge down to the local and specific level and challenge the tendency to centralize power through the claims of an ultimate truth which must be accepted or obeyed by all. Okay? What this is saying is basically deconstructionism is a way to critically train your mind in all spheres. Okay? To critically train your mind. This is like a mental exercise. Okay? to deconstruct the power constructions of humanity, okay? Think about it. Construct means to build up, right? And postmodernism says every institution, every society, every culture has built some type of meaning or value. Deconstructionism means this, this way of studying, this, way, this mental training is, okay, if everything's a power struggle at its root, and everything is just a cultural or societal construction by man, we can deconstruct it. And we can get to the root of it all. And the root of it all is a power struggle. Okay? It's one group of people subjugating other groups of people. Right? And so construct means to build. Right? Deconstruct means to tear down. To tear down. And since postmodernism claims all meaning and all history are merely a construction, deconstructionism, like I said, it just teaches you to tear down brick by brick. Right? Layer by layer, every societal or cultural or institutional building, right? So everything is deconstructed down to its root, and any claims to ultimate truth, a common history, or a unifying idea must be challenged, criticized, and deconstructed. And so um, when I went back home, I started to take these classes, and this is exactly what I had to do. So I was given, like, I was not only given, like, an assignment, like, write about postmodernism, write about deconstructionism, write about this thinker who was a postmodernist, I was said, I was told to, um, using postmodernist views, deconstruct this religion. Using this specific thinker's um, methods, deconstruct Christianity. Deconstruct Hinduism. Deconstruct whatever, whatever, right? 
You, ha- you are trained to do it, okay? You are trained to find flaws in any absolute truth. You're, fu- you're trained to find out how it's just a cultural thing, a societal thing, a personal experience, okay? Um, an example was in one of my classes. I took a class on Ezekiel, okay? And the whole semester we read Ezekiel and we talked about it. But before you get excited, it's not like this awesome Christian teacher was teaching me about Ezekiel. It was all about, like, Ezekiel and the power plays behind it, okay? So I had to write this paper about, like, the female-male power struggle within Ezekiel, okay? And this paper was so good that my professor wanted me to present it at a uh, convention for religious studies scholars. And he said I was going to win, but I couldn't go. Anyway, and he liked it so much because... um, Basically, what it was about was every male figure in Ezekiel was portrayed as good, but every female figure in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, was um, portrayed as bad. So, example, Israel is known as the harlot, the prostitute, who prostituted herself out, right? But if you thought about it, the actual idolatrous ones were the priests, who were men. But in this patriarchal society where men are dominant, and men are the ones writing this book, men are the ones that are, you know, in charge of church, they're going to they're gonna cast all the blame, on the, the blame on the female, the oppressed ones, power struggle, see? Cultural societal norms, see? You got to deconstruct it. So that the, the root of Ezekiel is just a bunch of priests who did not worship in the right way, and all these bad things were happening, and they had to blame it on the women, Okay? They blamed it on the women, and then they oppressed the women even more because women were then, in this, in this book, now women are seen as prostitutes, whores, idolatrous ones, but it's actually the men's fault, okay? And, and um, that's how you deconstruct everything. So you forget all about God intervening in man's life, you know? Like God choosing and loving a people. Like it has nothing to do with anything, okay? It's all about a power struggle, and it's all about what man has built, and so we can tear it down. Um, and so for me, when, when these, I was taking these classes, it was interesting because I had had my fire experience. I had had my real encounter with Jesus, right? So if this had happened before I came to Korea, I would have no faith, right? I would not be a Christian today. But I had this experience when I was dead and came alive, when I knew I was in darkness and God saved me, and I could not deny it. I, I can use deconstructionist methods, and I can deconstruct my experience of the Holy Spirit. Easily, okay? I had to read, in one of my classes, American Religion, I had to read um, charismatic accounts of Holy Spirit, okay? Alongside, you know, like uh, Mormon's accounts and Jehovah's Witness accounts, okay? Back to back. So it was just another subject. Um, This woman said she was laying on the floor and, and waves of liquid love were tingling through her body. And she began to shake with the power of what she thought was electricity. Okay, I had to, and then we had to, okay, this woman must have been a product of, of childhood trauma, suppressed memories, okay? She needed an emotional release for her. You know what I mean? You can, you can reason away everything, every spiritual encounter. So I could do that mentally. I could use the, t- the tools they had equipped me with, but in my heart of hearts, I knew what was true. More than what they told me in my mind, I knew what was true, okay? And I knew that God was real, that he was the only way to life. Okay, and so for me, whenever these things were coming against me, it challenged me, but it was good for me. And I began to have a zeal in my heart, Jesus, you are going to be exalted in academic institutions, you know, and that's when it began to burn in my heart. But um, the foundation must be there. 
the foundation must be there. Because if you begin to learn these things, soon you can't sit in a church service without questioning everything. Without 10 million voices of doubt, almost like taunting, mocking voices, questioning everything that's happening. And you can't receive a single thing because it's so hard for you to believe that anything can be real, right? Not a human construction. And so we must have a safeguard over our minds as we're taking our classes. And the reason we should be aware of postmodernist views is because this, the enemy is feeding this worldview to students all around the world, and often we don't even know, okay? They have no idea what's happening to their minds along the way, and um, it's funny because when I came to SNU, I thought it was just like a couple students, but over and over, literally, guys, every time I meet a new student, the conversation goes like this. So, I'm Rona, and, like, I love Jesus, or something along those lines, right? And then I'll, or I'll talk about Jesus in some way, and then, like, what do you think about Jesus or something? And then the conversation's brought up, and then, oh, you know, like, I really respect Christians. I really respect Christian views, and I think it's so great that you have faith and you believe in something good. But um, I just don't believe that it can be real for everyone. I don't believe, there's too many doubts in my mind, there's too many mental reservations. I cannot believe, my mind cannot accept that there is a heaven and a hell, a Jesus, a super God up there, who cares, right? And if it was just one person, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, you know? But it's not, okay? Every new student I meet tells me that they kind of want to believe, but they can't because their mind will not allow them to. There's too many doubts, okay? Okay. Why is this happening? Is it just because a bunch of students with the same problem happen to come to SNU? Or is there something else happening in the classroom? Some other kind of spirit at work in our minds on this campus. Something being fed to us through our curriculum, right? Is there something that's taking authority over our mind apart from God's truth? Because if so, we have to confront it. We have to tear it down. And so... Um, as I began to meet student after student, um, you know, like we would talk about, we would talk about the, the mental reservations or doubts that they had. But um, at the end of the day, like postmodernism got, it, it's like, it's like it's created this this fuzzy, impenetrable box, okay? Because on the one hand, it says there's no absolute truth, but on the other hand, it says there is. There are truths for every culture and society. So this group has a truth. This group has a truth. This group has a truth. So it causes you to appreciate the truth systems that people believe in. So whenever you're sharing your testimony, you're sharing about Jesus, they will not allow your story or encounter with Jesus to penetrate into them. But they, it's like an almost like a condescending appreciation of your, your cute little faith. Okay? They appreciate it because it's true for you. I can't deny you know, your personal experience. Because that's your reality. That is what's true for you, okay? So they appreciate it. They, can, they, they even want to listen to your stories. It's a new, exciting thing for them to learn, okay? But in terms of it penetrating into their minds and their hearts, it's like that's a complete separation, okay? So it's not even like a rejection of the gospel. It's like, a, oh, good for you, you know? But it's complete separation from it. And that's the worst place to be, okay? Because at least, I remember when I was evangelizing at Yonsei, at least, like, when I evangelized, people were like, oh, no, I don't want that at all. I reject that. I reject that. I reject that, you know? I don't want that. At least they know, you know? At least they, like, are rejecting. But then here, it's just like, it's just this, like, soft, gray, fuzzy appreciation, yet 
separation, okay? It's very, very interesting. And so, <laughs> um, oh, I went off my notes, okay? Um, so the way that oftentimes uh, postmodernists will deconstruct the Christian faith, for example, is um, this Christian is, is going through a difficult time, okay? They had a loss in their family. They went through, you know, trauma as a child. They had a bad breakup, um, whatever. Something bad happened, and so they need something to find meaning and strength and purpose in. So they find it in religion, okay? Or they... Um, they're surrounded by a community of people who are very fiery and zealous. And it reinforces, the society that they're in reinforces this belief system. And so, because of that, they believe as well, okay? They can deconstruct our faith very easily. Um, all truth is construction by man, so it can therefore be deconstructed. So, I want you to think about this. The first deconstructionist, guys... Um, was not Jacques Derrida, who's the most famous one. And it wasn't any other scholar. The first deconstructionist was Satan. Okay? Because in the Garden of Evil... The Garden of Evil. <laughs> in the Garden of Evil. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> in the Garden of Eden, all right? God's perfect, God's perfect construction. Okay? Garden of Eden was not constructed by man. The, when the universe was set in order by God, God's perfect construction, okay? What God had built, it was true and it was perfect, all right? And Satan approached man and woman and he said, did God really say? Did God really say? Did God, did God really say? Okay? So, God constructed everything beautifully and perfectly. The enemy said, there's a God, and he, he said something? Did God really say that? Are you sure? Are you sure? And he began to try to deconstruct Adam and Eve's faith in what was true and perfect and real. Did God really say? Are you sure that it's not just, you know, your personal experiences, some, some type of trauma that you had, right? <laughs> So the presupposition is that all religion is man-made, okay? Believers of Christ, however, say that the primary actor was God and not man. God was the mover, the shaker, the one who acted first, not man. God did it, not man, okay? He created all things, not man. God was the first and the last, not man, all right? <clears throat> and so he began to, Satan began to deconstruct the true words of God, and this is still how he works today, okay? He tries to destroy our faith by deconstructing the words of God, the truth claims of God in our lives, all right? He will attack, come against, and seek to destroy every truth claim of God. And if you guys remember when Pastor Paul came, he talked about the parable of the sower, Right? And he dropped different, he dropped seeds on the path, and there was different kinds of soil. And it's, it, he said that some of the seed was choked, and some of the seed was snatched up, right? That is deconstructionism, okay? The truth claims, the words of God going out, okay? The words of God written here, and then the enemy choking it, stealing it, snatching it up, okay? 
That is the enemy's tactic, and it always has been, always will be. He will get you to question the written and the spoken words of God. He causes us to budge and allow some things to become gray or fuzzy. And I believe that what God is calling us to, especially at SNU, is to hold fast to his word like we never have before. Okay? To learn to meditate on this book and to learn how to wield it as our sword. If our faith walk is like, is like building a house, like that, that passage in Luke said, think about even that word, deconstructionism. Okay? Satan longs to deconstruct our house. If our house is like faith, okay, our belief, he longs to deconstruct it. He wants to pull off board by board every single thing in our faith, okay? Every single word that you've received from God, every experience that you had from God, he wants to deconstruct. This passage from Luke we opened up with said that the man who hears and does not obey the word is like a man who built his house with no foundation. Postmodernism does exactly that. It destroys the foundation of faith. Okay? It attacks it at its root, so it cannot stand. So oftentimes, students are trying to build up their faith. They're building it high but they don't realize that their foundation has been attacked and that it's not strong. And so when that foundation, when anything comes, it's easily toppled over, easily broken. One voice of opposition, one traumatic experience, one bad day, one emotion field, whatever, one bad test, whatever it is, and everything crumbles. And we don't even know the enemy has been snipping away at the foundation of faith at the bottom the whole time because it's just been creeping in little by little. Oh, I guess, I guess I can budge a little bit here in my mind. Oh, I guess, you know, like some parts of the Bible, they don't really have anything to do with today's world. I guess like, you know, not everything my pastor says about it is really true or applicable. I guess, yeah, what my professor just said, that sounds like a really great idea. Like, why not believe? He's so smart. He read so many books, you know. Why not give a little bit of access here, a little bit of access there? And all along the way, the enemy's pulling the boards, the bricks of our foundation, bit by bit, okay? And so we can't keep building higher unless we guard that foundation, unless we strengthen that foundation in the word of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. I want you guys to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31. I'm going to try to talk faster because I don't want to go over time like the last three weeks. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. All right, First Corinthians chapter 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were called, what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has became for us the wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Okay? The things of this world... Okay? This worldview that is imposed and given in a sneaky manner to us through our classes, guys, is foolishness to God. And his ways are higher than our ways. And we can't understand it or perceive it, yet he also says that he makes it known to us if we ask for it. Okay? And so we have to know what is true and what is not true. Okay? We have to know that it is, it is God. Okay? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is not because of your society, your culture, your people group, your past traumatic experiences. It is because of him. It is because the Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus Christ to you that you are in him. Okay? It is because of him. It is not the construction of man. It is God's active intervention in your life. It is God's action, not man's. Okay? The views of postmodernism and the practice of deconstructionism is directly opposed to Christian faith. If you guys haven't caught that by now, it's directly opposed, okay? Directly opposed to Christian faith. Jesus says that in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, okay? If postmodernism says there is no meta narrative or grand story, Christianity says there definitely is one. And that is the only one that can get you eternal life, okay? And that meta-narrative is wrapped up in one book called the Bible. And tonight, I want to stress the importance of the Word of God. This has been something for the past few weeks that I kept, I kept asking all you familiar leaders, hey, is, are, your, are your students in the Word? How, how often do they read the Word? Can you guys ask them? Because I kept feeling it in my heart, the Word of God. The Word of God is how this foundation is going to be built so that no matter what comes against you, your faith will not crumble or topple over. And so tonight, I want to talk about the Word of God quickly, right? <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so Wayne Grudem, anyone know Wayne Grudem here in the house? Yeah, okay. It's okay if you don't know him. Um, he's he's um, a widely known systematic theologian, okay? It means he's very, very smart about the Bible, okay? He knows a lot of things. So he wrote a book called Bible Doctrine, and he starts to explain um, a passage, John 17, 17. And it says, Jesus is praying to the Father, and Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, Okay? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your word, for it is truth. 
okay? And, and Grudem explains that Jesus does not use an adjective. I'm not pronouncing this right. Alithinau or alithes, okay? True. He doesn't use the adjective true. Your word is true. He doesn't say that. He says, your, um, to say that God's word is simply true, but not truth itself is not right, okay? He uses a noun, and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth, okay? Aletheia. It's a completely different word than the other ones, okay? True is not used. Truth is used. Different words, okay? God's word is not simply true. It is truth itself, all right? The difference is significant for this statement encourage us to think of the Bible not simply as being true in the sense that it conforms to some higher standard, right? This is true because this is truer, Okay, so this is true-ish, all right? Um, But rather to think of the Bible as itself the final standard of truth, okay? The Bible is God's word. And God's word is the ultimate definition of what is true and what is not true. God's word is itself truth. Thus, we are to think of the Bible as the ultimate standard of truth, the reference point by which every other claim to truthfulness is to be measured. Those assertions that conform with scripture are true, while those that do not conform with scripture are not true. This is the litmus test. This is the filter. This is how we measure everything. Okay? This is truth. Everything else is true or not true, depending on how it lines up to this. So this is the most important thing we can know to build our house of faith, right? This is our foundation. Everything must pass by the word of God. Think about what you have placed weight and esteem and value in your mind on, okay? If it's the words of your parents, your teachers, scholars that you read, textbooks, okay? Media, your friends, your peers, your own thoughts, or your emotions, okay? What do you allow to define truth for you? What has the highest weight, okay? If your teacher says this thing, if your friend says this thing, if your parents say this thing, and if your emotions tell you this thing, okay? And the word of God says something way over here, all right? Where will you automatically give your mental permission to? You have authority over your minds. God's given that to you and no one else. Where are you giving your mental authority to, okay? Oh, professor, Oh, parents, okay? Oh, parents, you tell me this isn't right. You tell me I can't go to New Philly. You tell me I can't come to Emmaus. Okay, I give you authority, okay? Um, teacher, you tell me postmodernism is, is the way, the worldview that I need to adhere to. Okay, mentally giving you all authority over my mind, okay? What are you giving mental authority to? It has to be the word of God. If it's opposed to the word of God, you must go with the word of God because everything else, guys, it will, it, it's like pulling the planks of your faith bit by bit, okay? And so um, <clears throat> it's kind of like we don't approach Scripture with our own worldview and emotions and culture and society and voices, okay? We don't read it and say, oh, does this line up to Ronabab, okay? Ronabab thinks this, and Ronabab was raised in a culture like this, and Ronabab's professors tell her this. So I'm going to read scripture and see if scripture lines up to what all these other things are telling me. It's completely opposite, okay? You know scripture, and you let everything else go. Everything about you, your culture, your personality, your personal preferences, everything about you, you let go. Everything about your culture, you let go. Your society, you let go. And you say, I can 
I can filter it based on how it measures up to truth. Okay? Oh, my culture tells me this. What, is, what does truth tell me? Okay? Can it be true? Maybe. Maybe there are good parts of my culture and society and personality. But if not, this has precedence. This is where I'm giving my mental authority to. I hand it to the scripture, to the truth. Okay? You have to make a conscious decision to do that. It's not just going to happen naturally. You wonder why, oh, it's so hard for me to believe in this. It's so hard for me to get into this word. It's so hard for me to understand it. It's so hard for me to believe. My discipler tells me I'm more than a conqueror all the time and tells me I'm beautiful and, you know, whatever, lovable. I can't believe anything she's telling me. I can't believe the Bible study. I can't believe people get healed. I can't believe that people shake under the power of... I can't believe it. Why? Who have you given mental authority to? You've given it to someone, okay? And tonight I want to ask you who? Because especially postmodernist guys, they say like they're free thinkers and they're, they have strong minds, but they have given it, okay? Postmodernism says everything is constructed by man, right? Everything is constructed by man to exert power over others. Postmodernism is a system of beliefs constructed by man. So you are adhering to a system of beliefs. You are giving your mental authority to postmodernist views, Okay? You have chosen to put your faith in something. And your faith in, in that, what you've chosen to give your faith to is there is no absolute truth. You've exerted your faith and your mental energy to accept something. Okay? So why not do it purposely for the Bible? To save everybody trouble. Okay? So I don't have to repeat everything. Your shepherds don't have to repeat everything. Just listen to the word of God. Okay? <laughs> Summing up my message. Okay? So... <laughs> um, so, okay, number one, we must esteem the word of God then, right? Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2 says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Okay? We must tremble at the word of God. When you go into familia and you look at that Bible study, when you do your scripture reading, God says, the one I esteem is the one who trembles at my word. Why? Because he knows you're trembling at some words. He knows that you will tremble and put weight on someone or something's words. You must only tremble at the word of God. He says, the one I esteem is the one who trembles at my words. Psalm 1 1989 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything else, guys, is going to pass away because it's temporary. This alone, the words of God alone, are eternal and will stand, right? As believers, this is our part to aid the Holy Spirit in that house that's being built, right? We must cling to the word of God as absolute truth and not budge. And when we approach the word of God, we must do it with fear and with trembling. This is no ordinary book, okay? This is not just a novel. It's not just another history textbook. It's not just another, um, you know, form of literature. It's not like that. It's not just a book. This is not a book that you can pick and choose from. I like this. I don't like this. I'm feeling this. I'm not feeling that. It's not like that. You can't pick and choose here, okay? It's all, all of it. Hebrews 4, 2 says, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Okay? 
The same gospel was preached. The same word was given. But one group of people combined it with faith and one did not. So it did nothing for them. Okay? So where are you putting your mental assent and your faith? It has to be combined with the words of God. Okay? That's when power is released. Created things. um, Okay, Hebrews 4.12 says... Um, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay? So created things like worldviews, postmodernism, um, all, all created things, guys, Um, And created ones, like us, we do not go to the word and analyze it. Created things and created ones are to be analyzed by the word of God. Okay? It is a living and active word. We don't go and analyze scripture. Scripture comes and it analyzes us. It penetrates us. It changes us. It uproots the things in our heart. Okay? It's different than how we approach other books. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? Breathed out by God. Okay? Breathed out by God. Every word is breathed out by God. Okay? Every word is breathed out by God. God breathed words god spirit that breathe that breathe is the same word as spirit okay god spirited every word has the spirit of god in it it's a living word okay it's a living word it's alive it's alive okay um there's a story of this man named um uncle bp and when i went on my first new philly mission trip he was this this pastor in nepal but he told us to call him uncle and he gave us his testimony And he comes from a long line of Hindu priests. And his dad was a Hindu priest. His grandpa was a Hindu priest. And he, they're high up Hindu priests, okay? And and he was being like trained up from a young age to be a Hindu priest. And they put him in this special school far away from home in India. And he had to learn all about like the the ways of the like priesthood or whatever. I just made that up. (laughs) Whatever they teach you at Hindu preschool. And then, um, so then like... (laughs) And then, so he was, he, was, he was getting trained up, but then all of a sudden he just discovered a Bible randomly. And he just was curious. He's a big thinker. He's curious. So he started reading the Bible, okay? And then what happened was, he said in his own words, I started, I started by reading the Bible, but soon the Bible began to read me, okay? I started off reading the Bible, but the Bible began to read me, okay? And um, it began to change him and challenge him, it began to judge him and analyze everything inside his heart. And just by reading the Bible by himself, he didn't know any Christians. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because he knew this is truth. This is truth. It's living and active. It read me. It, it, it searched my heart and it revealed Jesus Christ to me. This living and active word to a Hindu priest in the making from a line of Hindu priests accepted Jesus by the word alone, okay? We especially at SNU must approach the word of God like this, okay? Put it into a, put um, the word of God, um, we must remember, guys, is inerrant, it is perfect, it is flawless, it is eternal, it is complete, okay? 
Every professor will tell you that there is no such book, there is no such worldview, and there is no such thing. But you cannot budge. This is one of those moments where you cannot give any, any, any wiggle room, okay? If you allow a little bit of wiggle room here, okay, the foundation will crumble, okay? You cannot budge here. I know. I took New Testament classes. I took Old Testament classes. And professors straight out told me everything is based on the societal, cultural norms of the time, okay? Everything is just a construction. I know. I know it's hard, but you cannot budge here. The word of God is inerrant, okay? It is truth. That is true, okay? We must also delight in and treasure the word of God, okay? I want you guys, this is homework, read Psalm 119. It's super duper long, okay? And all it talks about is how I pant for the word of God. I long for the word of God. I treasure it more than silver and gold. And, and if I find it, then I find life and I find strength and I'm sustained by the word of God, okay? Man, when I disciple Ruth, guys, it's always so much fun because I, t- I shepherd her. And like, um, and then she's just like, yeah, Rona, that's what I read in the word. And, you know, she's just like, and you know what God told me through the word? He told me that God, that he sustains me. And then she's quoting scripture. And I'm like, yeah, girl, that's right, you know. And she's, she's just letting the word of God marinate in her. And so when I'm discipling her, it's not a bunch of, oh, God, got to get all this out of the way. Because it's already in her. I'm just affirming that's exactly the word of God. That's the word of God, right? That's what sets us free. Okay, and the, the second thing I, um, oh, oh my goodness. Um, we also, guys, if, if postmodernism trains our minds to deconstruct, right? We talked about how that's a mental exercise. We are deconstructing everything. Um, we must learn how to do another exercise with our minds in the Christian faith, okay? The word of God will train our minds to demolish strongholds. I'm going to read to you guys from um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay? If we know the enemy wants to deconstruct our faith, deconstruct truth claims, and that's how he tears away at our foundation, right, our faith, then we know that the word of God says we demolish strongholds and we demolish every argument, every pretension, every worldview that sets itself up against the knowledge of Jesus. We take every thought captive that sets itself up against Jesus, every single one, every one, okay? There's mental exercises in both. Okay? There's a worldview in both. There's a system of beliefs in both. Okay? The passage said we have weapons that are not of the world. Okay? Everyone say weapons. As a believer, the moment you believe, you are given weapons. Okay? And they're pretty bomb weapons. It says that our weapons have power to demolish strongholds. Dang! That sounds good! Okay? I don't even... Man, that's awesome! Strongholds, guys, are thoughts, arguments, pretensions, okay, doubts, those mocking voices, strongholds, okay? You have been given a weapon to demolish every stronghold. 
Okay? You don't have to be run down. You don't have to let those voices steal away your joy or your faith. You have a weapon to demolish every single one. Okay? You have the power and the ability in those weapons to do it. Strongholds are thoughts that we are bound to and held captive by. Okay? So scripture says we have weapons that can demolish them. What are the weapons? Okay. What are the weapons? How do we use them? And if you guys remember Pastor Emily's message from last semester, she talked about the whole armor of God, right? And we have a whole full armor of God. Ephesians 6 tells us that. But it also tells us that our offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the, the word of God, right? It means that we just have to learn to activate and utilize the sword of the spirit, how to wield our weapon, right? These weapons, this sword of the spirit, if we learn how to effectively use it, can demolish every stronghold in our mind. And so the first thing, guys, that I want to challenge us with is to meditate, okay? Meditate on the word of God. And I know that your um, small group leaders have been telling you this lately especially, but we must meditate on the word of God. Um, There's a story about this archaeological discovery and basically these old ancient Near Eastern believers, they um, literally, they they found the skeletal remains and then they found like this little necklace thing and glass something and little pieces of paper rolled up and they had shoved these little scrolls into this necklace, this like, what's it called? Not a charm, like a, like a lockety thing or like a little tube and then they died with it on, on their neck and then um, they found it later and they're, they're words of the Old Testament, okay? Old Testament believers literally, some of them they wrapped, like they had necklaces where they carried around words, the words of scripture, the words spoken by God, right? They literally did that, okay? And so what this looks like practically doesn't have to be that, all right? But I'm just giving you an example of what it could like, look like, okay? So students... Um, There are so many ways that you can meditate on the word of God. And I'm going to just give you some scripture to show you that it's it's really, really, it's not a religious thing, okay? I don't want you to just rote memorization like you memorize facts for your class. It's it's not a religious thing, and I don't want to give a system to you that, like, you know, you're bound by. But I want you to look at scripture, how scripture tells you to meditate on scripture, okay? Proverbs 6, 20 through 24 says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Deuteronomy 11.18 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Okay? Work that out in your own way. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Okay? You are the gatekeeper of your mind. No one else is. Not your discipler, not your friend. You are the gatekeeper of your mind. Okay? What that means is you let things in and you let things out. Okay? You are the one in control of that gate to your mind. Okay? And often, guys, we've let our minds run free, right? We just let down all, we open the gate and we're just like, whatever, okay? Our minds just wander. And some of you got, I mean, 
I know that you're prone to this because I am too, okay? Even during this message, some of you guys have traveled to Malaysia. You've eaten your mama's home cooking. You've gone to Mars. Some of you have married G-Dragon and had five of his children, you know? Like, I know that you guys have not been here the whole time. That's okay, okay? We're, we're all working on this, but we cannot do that. When we just have a vacant spot here, guys, something is coming in, okay? We must keep restraint over our minds, especially at SNU. You must keep a guard over your minds, okay? This is where the enemy will come at you. You must have restraint over your mind. It's the most important thing. Um, We have to keep a sober mind. We have to stay awake. We have to keep check over that gate, okay? What we allow in, what we allow out, what we allow our minds to wander to, it's crucial, okay? Meditate on what is true, what is good, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Meditate on what is truth, okay? As soon as a thought comes into your mind that is in opposition to truth here, okay? You don't just let it linger there. You don't just let it stay there. You don't just let it take you down a rabbit trail and see what's going to happen, okay? As soon as a thought comes in that is in opposition to truth, you must take it captive. You must kill it, okay? This is a violent, militaristic Way that you have to go about it, okay? There's no, this is serious, okay? There's no wiggle room here. You got to take it captive, okay? Consistently. And I'm not saying we're perfect in this. We're not always going to be able to do it, okay? But we've got to continually let the Holy Spirit empower us to try, okay? And know that our attempts are not in vain. And know that our attempts are not futile, okay? That God is helping us and that we're becoming stronger mentally, okay? The, de- the enemy will deconstruct truth and our faith building. And um, soon, when a storm comes, guys, it will be demolished if we allow him access. Okay? In those moments of wandering, in those moments of whispering, did that really happen to you at retreat? Did that really happen at large group? Is that really true about you? In those moments when we latch on, when we give access to those thoughts, and when we latch on to them, when we allow them to grow in our minds, it is brick by brick, Okay, the enemy deconstructing. And so I want you guys to use the word of God to filter out the things that don't belong, to put a stop, okay? You have power to do that. And I just want to empower you guys that you do have authority over your mind, okay? No one else is in control. The enemy is not in control of your mind. You are in control. You are the one who can give authority, okay? Um, next, I want us to eat and obey the word of God, okay? And basically, this is really simple. Um, John 1.8 says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, okay? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Um, we don't just do this, guys, so that we're prosperous and victorious, but we obey what he has spoken and already revealed to us because that is how we build our faith, right? That's how the building, the building blocks are laid, brick by brick. The passage in Luke said that, um, that when the man hears and does not obey the word of God, it's like a man who built his house with no foundation. And this is in direct opposition. When we hear and do, okay, the foundation is strong. When we hear and do, the foundation is strong. When we hear and do, our faith is being strengthened, okay? 
Um, in Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, God is actually speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel, take my scroll and eat it, okay? When you approach scripture, guys, allow it to filter other things. Allow it to um, be the meditation of your heart and mind, but think of it as eating, okay? If you have a natural self, the physical body, and then you have a spirit man living inside of you, the way that you feed your spirit man Guys, if you eat food and you're strengthened, if you eat vegetables and you're strengthened, the way that you get strong in the spirit, the way that you strengthen your faith, okay? Your spirit man needs to eat. Eat the scroll. He told Ezekiel, eat the scroll I'm giving to you. And Ezekiel ate it, and he said it tasted sweet like honey, okay? If you eat this book, not literally, okay? If you eat this word, let it go into you. Digest it. Chew on it. Let it change your mind, change your heart. Let it become part of who you are. Whenever we eat vegetables, right, the nutrients are soaked up into our body, right? When you eat the word of God, it will be soaked in by your spirit man. It will strengthen your spirit man, okay? The things that used to come against you and used to tear your faith down, it won't anymore. The trauma, the bad things that happen to you, it happens and it's going to come, guys. Trials and testing come. It's not always easy, God never promised it would be easy, but he said he was going to strengthen us in our inner man, right? And part of how he does that is through the word of God. If we've eaten it, if we've taken it and let it digest in us, let it strengthen us, guys, it will strengthen our spirit man, okay? If you felt like you've been tossed back and forth in your emotions, like one, one storm comes and it's almost toppled over and you've got to start rebuilding again. Another storm comes, almost toppled over, you've got to start rebuilding again. One professor says this, one textbook says this, one, one doubt comes, one emotion-filled day comes, and you feel like every single day you're starting to rebuild okay, that faith. Rebuild that faith. God is saying that it doesn't have to be like that, okay? You don't have to be torn down every day. You don't have to be torn down by the opposition. You don't have to be torn down by the storms that come. When they come, you don't have to be torn down. Your faith does not have to be deconstructed, destroyed, okay? You know, whenever um, last semester, Stephen Beauchamp, he, he came here after the churchwide retreat where everybody got blasted by the Holy Spirit, and he said, he said a very similar message that we have to meditate on in Scripture. But he also gave us a prophetic word at the end, and he said, SNU, you are a company of Daniels, and God has given you a spirit of insight and understanding. And, and you first have to submit your minds to God, You first have to surrender your minds to God, but he will give you a spirit of insight and understanding with which you will lead the masses, okay? With which you will lead the masses, okay? You will be given a spirit of wisdom, revelation, insight, and understanding, and masses of people will come to you for understanding. But first, you must take control of your own minds. You must give submission of your minds to God, right? There is a reason why, guys, this is one of the biggest struggles here. There's a reason why those doubts, those mocking voices, that opposition comes at your mind. There's a reason why SNU is hostile to the gospel in so many ways. Your classes, what you've been taught, right? There's a reason why. And God is saying that when I have full access, when you have opened the gate up to me and my word alone, powerful things are going to happen. 
Your minds will be strengthened in the Lord. Your faith will be strengthened in the Lord. And no matter what comes against you, you're going to be strong in him. Okay? And so I believe that, um, I believe that each of you, God is going to use so powerfully. God is going to use so powerfully on this campus. But it starts by just building that strong foundation in the word of God. Right? <clears throat> um, and so I want to just pray a little bit.